This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. A good September 22nd to you on this Thursday morning. It's Jesperson and Hicks with you uh, in just a couple of minutes. Political scientist Dr. Dwayne Bratt. We've got a lot to get to with him. And then a little later on in the show, we're going to learn about uh, a celebration. It's, it's local. It's happening in our neck of the woods, celebrating the achievements of Alberta women. Daughters Day. We're going to find out the, the premise behind that and why it's so important to recognize this. It's an annual celebration that was interrupted for the last couple of years like so many were as a result of COVID-19 but they're back in person this weekend so we'll talk to the chair uh, Dr. Vivian Abood who's uh, well known in education circles in the province uh, the Alberta School Boards Association among them and then we're going to talk to one of the recipients who's uh, an immigrant to Canada we'll hear the story of Delmi Garcia Hoyt who uh, came to Canada back in 1984 at the height of the Civil War in El Salvador. And uh, she's been making great contributions to her her community uh, in central Alberta, and I'm looking forward to that conversation. Plus, John, I didn't tell you this. I don't know if you saw it, but we heard back from Catalina. Oh. Yeah, you remember Catalina yeah. wrote uh, a, an email to us talking about the mushy middle. Fan favorite. It really was. Uh, it grabbed Charles Adler's attention in a big way. As a matter of fact, Chuck reached out to us after he heard me read Catalina's email, and he said, you need to send me the transcript. He said, that was a great email. Uh, Charles wanted to read it again and, and have it in his hands. And then yesterday, we have our unofficial opposition panel on, Erica Ifill Mo Amir, not a dull moment, but they really had no time for the concept of the so-called mushy middle. So Catalina has written back, which I love. I think what Catalina has, <clears throat> Catalina's got a bit of an understanding. She feels that she's on the cusp of running away with September's Real Talk email of the month. I think she, she can probably feel that Real Talk official studio issue coffee mug in her hand. She can feel it. And so she's following up. Now, what does the email of the month mean when we award it on a monthly basis and when our team member, Katie Cook Chivers, ships you a mug right to your door? It doesn't mean that everybody agreed with your email. It doesn't mean that John or me or both of us agreed with your email. It means you got us thinking. It means you got us talking because uh, that's our number one mission, of course, when it comes to this show. So We'll get to Catalina's email a little bit later on in the show, I promise. Political scientist Dr. Dwayne Bratt in just a moment. Before we get to that, I want to let you know that this conversation is presented by our friends at Friesen Brothers who want to remind you that they are right now taking orders for their Thanksgiving dinner box. Thanksgiving's going to be here before you know it. Why not leave all the work to somebody else and allow them, your guests, to heap all the praise on you? Their chef-prepared Thanksgiving catering box is just $60 for four people. That's an incredible deal for roasted turkey, baked potatoes with all the fixins, roasted root veggies, gravy, cranberry sauce, and their famous sourdough dinner buns. As you'll see on the website, Friesen.com, there's also optional add-ons like Granny's Stuffing, which I highly recommend. Again, you can order online at Friesen.com. Why not throw in a four-pack of Bald Mike's beer as well if you're going to be picking up your order in Edmonton or Fort Saskatchewan. At Westworld Computers, we've been telling you this, they are overstocked on the, uh, these are the MacBook Pros and the MacBook Airs. How would you describe the MacBook Air? It's like a, it's a little bit like lighter duty kind of thing. Yeah, so I've got the Pro. My wife has the Air, but it's still... It's what does good. she use the Air for? Like checking emails? Social posting. media, email, spreadsheets, And whatever. then the Pro, you can do like editing and all the heavier stuff. Exactly, tech yeah. stuff. Yeah, so they got a ton of them at Westworld Computers. Oh, and of interest, I would uh, no doubt guess at your Apple experts also in stock, the iPhone 14 Pro. This is Pro Beyond, now available online at westworld.ca or in person in the West End of Edmonton. Also, I mean, I keep hammering this home so much so that people are starting to ask John and I 
specific questions about the $2.2 million dream home up for grabs of the Covenant Foundation Lottery. Uh, we had a basketball game last night, men's league. One of the guys on the team says, so this this $2.2 million dream home, when you're talking, I said, buddy, go on the website. It's incredible. Don't, you got to tour the house yourself. I mean, you could picture yourself living there. CovenantFoundationLottery.ca, fully furnished the house is. Now, if you're not the lucky person to win this two-plus million-dollar mansion, yeah. well, what about a car? What about a trip? Yeah. What about cash through the 50-50, all in support of the Misericordia and Grey Nuns Hospitals? You can uh, call one 944 2774 or visit ca. Beautiful home, too. Corner lot, if you need to know. Oh, corner, corner lot's lot. a big deal. Corner lot is a big deal. So. Yeah. You only deal with the one neighbor. Hopefully, you get a gem of a neighbor on the one side. Typically, your lot's going to be a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, the corner lot. I'm glad you pointed that out, John. Of course, you went and saw the pad in person. Yeah, and my yeah. wife's like, oh, corner lot. She loves the corner Beautiful lot. Beautiful spot. Carrie likes corner lots, too. Um, before we get to Dr. Dwayne Brad, let's tee this up. And what we're going to be talking, I love when Dwayne comes by because we can talk federal politics. We can talk international developments. And, of course, we can talk provincial politics as well. That's really uh, his wheelhouse, and it's what we want to focus on today. Now, we talked to you about Alberta Cabinet Minister Casey Maddow's tweet from just a couple of nights ago, right? When he was, he was professing his admiration, his support, his appreciation for the Freedom Convoy, for everybody that fought what he described as tyrannical uh, COVID measures, public health measures. People were right to question, well, he was Minister of Justice uh, for a big portion of this period of time. So what does this say about the Alberta government? What does this say about Alberta in particular? Alberta's Premier Jason Kenney, uh, just yesterday on a mission in Ontario, he's in Toronto as a matter of fact, trying to convince people outside of Alberta to move to Alberta. But of course, reporters wanted his take on whether or not he thinks it damages Alberta's brand when a cabinet minister like Casey Maddu professes support for the Freedom Convoy. And here's what the premier had to say. I, I really don't think people are going to make life decisions based on uh, whether they agree or disagree with one particular person in a different province. There are it, Canada is a big, diverse, uh, pluralistic democracy where we have a wide open debate on a lot of issues, naturally COVID being one of them, uh, and there are people with different views on issues a- across the country. I-, I will say this, I've met more than a few people who have approached me uh, in Alberta who told me that they came to the province uh, from other provinces precisely because we were the least restrictive during the COVID era, and they appreciated uh, a government that was trying its best to minimize the damaging effect of COVID era restrictions. So uh, I actually think, you know, for a lot of Canadians who believed that governments uh, went too far and too quickly in restricting people's lives, uh, that Alberta has uh, been a magnet for, for a lot of people who, who value uh, freedom. Uh, and at the same time, we can, we can share with Canadians that Alberta ended the COVID era with a lower lower per capita COVID fatality rate than Canada, uh, than uh, other, several other provinces, and we did so with the least damaging restrictions. Was Alberta's COVID response perfect? No, of course not. Uh, we we can all we, there will be plenty of time to look back and see how we could have done better to learn the lessons. But for a province with with lower uh, fatality level than Canada, with the least damaging restrictions, um, I think that that sends a message that uh, it's, it's a province that uh, seeks uh, uh, to find a balance that respects personal freedom, but also in, uh, ensure access to, to health care. So there's the dance. That's Alberta's Premier Jason Kenney yesterday in Ontario. Dr. Dwayne Brad is a political science professor in the Department of Economics, Justice, and Policy Studies at Calgary's Mount Royal University. He's the co-editor of Orange Chinook Politics in the New Alberta. And we find him reading a paper copy of, based on the headline font, appears to be, is that the Calgary Herald you're reading there, Dr. Bratt? Calgary Herald there, uh, Ryan, yes. Oh, and by the way, pal, I wouldn't be a true friend if I didn't notice as well, a fresh haircut, it appears, looking tight today, my man. Oh, boy. Had to do it for the uh, new school season, right? Oh, you know? there you go. You you, you want to send us, you got the tie on, your students, yeah, of course. Brand new tie. 
New you'll, haircut. You'll be uh, by the end of the semester wearing your favorite lacrosse shirt, and they'll all be calling you D money, and everything will yeah. be casual and chilled yeah. out. Hey, before we get to, to to Kenny, let me ask you: for people that that don't follow you on Twitter, first of all, what are they even doing? Second of all, you lamented, I think, yesterday, and I think I share in your lament that some yeah. pretty prominent national papers some local ones as well are moving away from print editions at least a couple of days a, a, a week you're a print guy you like to hold it in yeah. your hand i like to hold it in my hand as i was <laughs> as we we go on air and and part of that is just habit uh, but also you're not looking for articles so you see stories that you didn't think you really needed to know about or yeah. needed to read but it's there on the page so you go through it um and i spend way too much time during the day staring at screens like i am right now it's refreshing to i don't know put a podcast on and read a read a newspaper physically it's just the folding of the paper just the, the ritual of that but i am lamenting that you know first they got rid of sunday delivery now they got rid of monday delivery and i'm sure um by 2030 you know we may no longer see print editions yeah and i don't even know if they'll make it to 2030 i, I don't have inside yeah. Uh, information here. I just know what I see. I'm the same as you. My parents still get the paper copies. Uh, they subscribe to the Calgary Herald and to the National Post, and so they'll get both of those. I'll be down in Calgary, and I love the coffee stain on the newspaper as we're sitting there on a lazy Sunday reading through it. The Sunday edition of the Globe and Mail, which is still about the you know, the thickness of, a, of an encyclopedia some weekends, yeah. is pretty special as well. I respect it. Yeah, no, and I used to get the Sunday Times as well, and it was just, it was too heavy. And uh, part of it is I would get the Sunday Times on, like, Tuesday. So uh, yeah. that's why I canceled that. And so I do have electronic subscriptions. But, you know, when you're sitting on a bus trip to Edmonton with your lacrosse team, having a bunch of newspapers with you for the ride uh, is better than sketchy Wi-Fi service. Yeah, I, I've talked to a, a magazine publisher by the name of Trudy Callahan here in Edmonton. She publishes Edify, uh, and uh, she, she talks to me about her conviction. They've done a lot of work on digital, and they have some exclusive digital projects and products, uh, but yeah. she, she's really convinced that people still want to hold a high-quality magazine in their hands from time to time. I've heard the same thing from from voracious readers. Like, everybody, you know, people have their Kindles or their tablets, but a lot of people like to feel the spine of a book crack as well. Well, there's a lot to be said for bookshelves, mm -hmm. you know. Um, you know, I've got multiple bookshelves in my home office, and I've got multiple bookshelves downstairs in our family room and of course i've got my office at, at mount royal and you can't you know having a kindle with 20 books on it isn't doesn't have the same look i agree and to be able to pull a book off the shelf and yeah may, i might be getting old right hey we're all getting old who cares <laughs> <laughs> age gracefully and do it on your own terms that's all we can really concern ourselves with are you what do you what do you make of the premier's uh, comments yesterday in ontario of course he wants to pump alberta's tires Yet he's got another gaffe, I guess, one of his cabinet ministers, in this case, Casey Maddow. Not, yeah, this isn't the first time Casey Maddow has caused Jason Kenney some, some problems. But he referred to it as just some random guy in Alberta. Well, this is A, the current cabinet minister, B, the former justice minister whose job it was to enforce COVID restrictions, and who is the most high-profile cabinet supporter of Daniel Smith, a woman who could become premier and who is saying many of the same things that Casey Maddow is. So there is Jason Kenney in Toronto trying to convince people to move to Calgary because we have low gas prices and uh, um, um, we, we are, our homes are cheaper and we've got great quality of life and we've got mountains and Banff and Jasper, et cetera. Um, but don't worry, we'll also dismantle the uh, healthcare system uh, when you arrive. Uh, we may have political turmoil over a constitutional crisis. Uh, and we supported, uh, you know, freedom convoys that wanted to overthrow the government. But as I mentioned, house prices are cheaper. So yeah. please move here. Do you think, I mean, is there a certain uh, element of the Canadian population to, to whom this is an appealing message? As, as, as you say it, dripping with sarcasm, the premier says, hey, he's had people come up. Everyone's got the anecdotes, right? Like no one will forget Jason Kenney at the food court in South Calgary claiming that somebody came up to him, one of the workers at one of the, the food restaurants and, and, and tell professing his, his, you know, their admiration for the position he had taken. Look, on look at the types of people and look at the ads of the people that they're trying to recruit. 
these are people who ride bikes. These are people who live in cities. These are people who go to your local coffee shop, um, you know, with, with young families. Um, it, it, you know, that re it, it, from Toronto and Vancouver, that normally this government is very dismissive of. You know, they call them the, the laptop class and, right. and urbanites from Toronto. And now we're trying to recruit them here. Well, there is a powerful message uh, to come out here. There, there's a reason that, you know, in good times, people flow into uh, Alberta. But you'll notice that we're not targeting, you know, the rig workers. We're not targeting the people that work in the oil sands uh, because you don't need ads for that. You don't need ads in Newfoundland and New Brunswick telling them to, to come and work in Fort McMurray. So he's trying to bring in a certain type of people uh, into this, uh, into this province. You think it's going to work? I mean, I, you know, I'll be honest, like I have siblings that, that live in Vancouver and Vancouver Island. And uh, I know for them, home ownership, uh, at least for one of them living in downtown Vancouver is an absolute pipe dream. And, and I have cousins that have moved from Vancouver to Winnipeg for the same reason or outside Winnipeg, Dwayne, cause they could finally own property. They could have a backyard. Their kids could go somewhere where they felt good about. It. I mean, there, there, there are, advantages here and oh, I know absolutely there they are, are hundreds of thousands wondering. or millions of people like you or i as well that would look at embarrassing scenarios involving politicians and say it's yeah. not us yeah yeah no and i mean you've got great quality of life here you've got the amenities of a major city without some of the same traffic um you know i went to high school and university in southern ontario my family still lives in southern ontario every time i drive the 401 i go thank god i'm living in a in a, a city where i can be in downtown in 15 minutes yeah you know, uh with a nice backyard so um yeah there are a lot of attractive features but you're not going to move the financial sector to calgary or edmonton Right. There's a reason it's concentrated in Toronto, just like the oil sector is concentrated in, in Alberta. Um, so it, I, I've always wondered when he when he brought out this initiative, who the audience was. Is it actually people in Vancouver and Toronto or is it people in Alberta? Uh, and I'm not sure of that. And we've always, as I mentioned, had huge influxes of people moving to Alberta without the need for an advertising campaign. I mean, this isn't Brad Wall and the Saskatchewan government putting up billboards saying, please come home. You know, a very effective um, uh, campaign back in 2008, 2009. Um, this is trying to recruit people that normally this government is so dismissive of. Let me bring this back to Minister Madhu's tweet. Well, you know, people keep referring to him because it's accurate as the former justice minister, but I want to remind people he is still the current labor minister. He's still yeah, sitting so in he cabinet. was removed as justice minister for trying to interfere in the justice system when he called the police chief right. over, uh, over a traffic ticket. Uh, uh, such an egregious offense that he was removed as justice minister, but not so egregious to remove him from, from cabinet. But when you look at that tweet, there's so much to unpack there. So the first one is this idea of restrictions, uh, that the restrictions were about political control and, and power. These are messages that Jason Kenney repeated yesterday in Toronto, and you played that clip of that. Well, the majority of restrictions occur at the provincial level. And so while Jason Kenney says, rightly so, that we had the fewest restrictions in this country, and that's one of the reasons Jason Kenney will no longer be premier in two weeks' time, or one of the reasons, um, he fails to note that those provincial restrictions were still way beyond what the federal government did, because health care is a provincial responsibility. He also failed to mention him having a press conference in the spring of 2020 complaining about why Justin Trudeau didn't shut down international air travel into Canada quick enough. Um, so he was advocating for more federal restrictions rather than less federal restrictions. Now, we can debate about you know, the timing. Should we have a RAV can, you know, for the last couple months? Uh, should we still be wearing masks on planes? You know, and these sorts of things. But those nuances were not there. It was almost provincial restrictions, good, necessary, based on science, but federal restrictions 
uh, were simply about political control. And I'm not sure the virus can distinguish between provincial and federal jurisdiction. So that's at the one level of that tweet. Uh, and I think that's an important policy uh, message. Um, and can I say, Dwayne, we, not, and not just political control, but tyranny? Yes, tyranny. Yes, uh, because wearing a mask on a plane is tyranny. Uh, filling out a rave can is tyranny. Mm. But restrictions on going to church or going to restaurants or wearing a mask in, in elementary school, that's not tyranny. That's based on science, right? right. And so you, you need to separate those, those two things. But that wasn't the most offensive part of the tweet. The most offensive part of the tweet was about the freedom convoys. They endured a lot of hate, name-calling, suffered and vilified on behalf of all of us. I thank them. So the freedom convoy that occupied Ottawa, that wanted uh, the Trudeau government replaced by some sort of coalition government of the governor general, uh, the Senate and the convoy organizers, the ones that are facing criminal charges in Ottawa, or even close to the home, Coots, where there were um, efforts to try to assassinate police officers, intimidating truck um, uh, tow truck driver owners that they had to bring in special legislation to allow them to move the vehicles, huge weapons caches that were that were uh, discovered. The RCMP had to use undercover officers uh, to infiltrate the movement. Were those the good guys? Um, or are we at the same level that Kenny is where those protesting in Ottawa, because they were protesting Trudeau, those were legitimate. Right. But those blockading coots, which were opposed to the provincial government, those were really bad actors. Well, they're the same type of people. And so I took that as the most offensive. And if Danielle Smith becomes premier, Casey Maddu is going to remain in cabinet and maybe even more influential than he is. Um, so this raises a lot of red flags. Um, there's also been suspicion about the lack of enforcement of COVID restrictions for the longest time in this province. Uh, it really took that, you know, no more lockdowns rodeo in Bowdoin before we started to see some uh, some real police action because people were just thumbing uh, their nose at these restrictions. Yeah, E.C. Madu was justice minister at the time, and there have been sustained rumors, rumors that Maddo was a believer in the statements of he was opposed to mandate vaccinations. Did he play a role in the lack of enforcement of these restrictions when he was justice minister? Uh, I don't know, but those stories have been circulating for, you know, two years. If Danielle Smith wins, and there's there's rumors that she's building her team out, there's rumors that, uh, you know, I'm hearing a name circulate, I'm not going to say it on the show, it'd be irresponsible, that she's, she's already prepared to to, to appoint a chief of staff. I mean, there's a lot of confidence on that campaign. Uh, if Danielle Smith is the premier of Alberta, if she keeps around senior cabinet ministers like Casey Maddu, if this turns into to a big spectacle, you know, talk about the Sovereignty Act, et cetera, what do you think this means? I mean, there's a provincial election looming uh, in 2023 here in Alberta, and uh, the Notley NDP are starting to get more and more vocal about it. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you you co-edited uh, a book, a, a series of, 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 of sort of examinations, explorations to Alberta's changing political landscape. What do you think 2023 looks like? It's about to be a wild year. Yeah, so I think there's a better than even chance Daniel Smith wins yeah. uh, the leadership race. Uh, I think Travis Taves still has an opportunity, mm -hmm. um, but it's it's going to be tough for him. He's going to have to thread a needle involving multiple ballots and preferential votes. And uh, so if I was uh, a betting man, I would put my shiny loony on, on Daniel Smith right now, but not much more than a loony. Okay. Uh, we'll have to see. Strange things happen in a preferential ballot. But Madhu is positioning himself to be an influential actor uh, by endorsing her early, uh, repeating some of her same messages and in cabinet. Other cabinet ministers, I think she's going to want to get rid of. Um, and, uh, you know, this is where some of the unity challenges are going to be. 
But you mentioned the the blue storm, which is our uh, book on the 2019 election, the first three years of the, the Kenny government. And it comes out in January, but at the Prairie Provinces Political Science Association meetings this past weekend in Banff, we had the first public presentation of some of the key chapters. And so that went well, and there was a lot of chatter about what a Smith premiership would look like, what May of 2023 would look like, but also a very strong possibility we could be going to the polls in the fall. And there's two scenarios for that. Scenario number one is she introduces the Sovereignty Act and it is either defeated because there's a number of current ministers who have already come on the record including leadership candidates saying they would vote against it or winning so narrowly with a number of her own caucus voting against it that she would be wounded right off the bat. Mm. So that would be one scenario for an election. The other scenario for an election is to prevent any of that occurring. And you win on October 6th. Uh, you wait a while before you um, bring the legislature back. So instead of it being uh, late October, it's early November. And then you call a, a, a snap election because it's clear there's opposition within the caucus to Daniel Smith, within the cabinet. She would probably like new people running for the UCP. So there's a lot that if, if Travis Taves wins, there's going to be a lot of uh, maintaining stability. But if Smith wins, you're going to see potential of some real changes very quickly. And it may not be May of 2023, which is one of the reasons the NDP is really ramping up yeah. their nomination so that they would be ready for this. If you're just tuning in, this is Dr. Dwayne Brad out of Calgary's Mount Royal University. Uh, for what it's worth, when uh, Ms. Smith joined us on this show back on July 14th, uh, just this summer, she committed to sticking to that fixed election date, but you you pose two hypotheticals. One of those scenarios obviously would be outside of her control to a degree. Yeah. So that would be a, a sort of apples and oranges in a way. Uh, Angus Reid is out with its, its latest polling. This will be Jason Kenney's last as Premier of Alberta when it comes to approval ratings, and uh, he, he's down. He's, he's down among the bottom, uh, and this is the way he'll go out. Uh, up around 61% when he first came in, and, and he's low 30s now. Scott Moe is polling as the most popular Canadian premier, just one province over, obviously, in Saskatchewan. What is it that Scott Moe is doing differently than Jason Kenney? What do you read into this Angus Reid polling? So from a policy perspective on COVID, um, there wasn't that much of a difference in what the governments actually did. But how the governments communicated it was very different. Um, so, you know, Kenny would give these definitive statements about open for summer, open forever, and then have to backtrack on that when reality kicked in. Or I will never introduce a vaccine mandate. And then a couple of weeks later, bring in restrictions exemption program. That was a vaccine mandate. So you had those sorts of things going on from a communication perspective. The other is the unity. The Saskatchewan party is unified. You don't hear the types of turmoil that I've been describing and that we've been living through uh, with uh, caucus revolts and people being kicked out of caucus and people uh, uh, calling for the premier to resign while sitting in caucus. None of that is occurring in Saskatchewan. Uh, they are much more unified, the SAS party. The other is the NDP in Alberta is much stronger much greater chance of, of winning the next election versus the NDP in Saskatchewan, um, which uh, you know has lost multiple elections and things don't look any any better there. I would also make the case that on a per capita basis, now bear in mind Saskatchewan is about a quarter of the size of Alberta, it has become the most conservative place in Canada. Uh, Alberta is no longer the most conservative place. I think Saskatchewan is. And I think, you know, there's a number of reasons for that uh, related to, you know, urbanization. You know, they don't have the big cities like Calgary and, and Edmonton, but there are non-conservative MPs in this province. There are no non-conservative right. MPs in Saskatchewan. Yeah. I mentioned the NDP with a very good chance of winning. Uh, and it, if they don't, it'll be close. The NDP in Saskatchewan um, seems to find a way of losing more seats with every election. Um, so very different uh, dynamics. So I think that helps to explain why Saskatchewan and Scott Moe is so much more popular uh, than Jason Kenney. Ironically, the UCP seems to be going on an upswing on polls 
once Kenny announced he was leaving. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's, uh, we've got money rolling in, COVID has restrictions have dropped and Kenny's leaving, but it's also a, an empty vessel. Who is the leader? I don't know. So you just imagine your perfect conservative leader. Once they have a conservative leader, then it gets complicated because if Smith wins, what do urban conservatives in Calgary, there aren't that many urban conservatives left in Edmonton, what do they think? Do they stay? What do they do? And if Taves wins, where where do the Smith people go? Um, do they form another party? You know, there is a tradition of that. Do they form an existing independence party? Where, where do they go? I, so uh, this is, they're unified right now. They're not going to be unified on October 6th. Do you have a, I want to respect your class schedule. Do you have a few more minutes? Yeah. Okay. I want to ask you about a couple more things. Um, I promised uh, John Hicks and subscribers to this show that unless there was a new development, we would no longer talk about the PM at the piano. I'm not going to ask you about Bohemian Rhapsody. However, uh, Alberta MP Garnet Jenis referenced the Queen lyrics in the House yesterday. I want to play the clip. Uh, I think a lot of work went into this, him and his team yeah. invoking Freddie Mercury. Uh, but I want people that are watching on YouTube to also pay attention as MP Jenis is, is delivering his message to the Prime Minister and to the Finance Minister in particular, Christian Freeland. Watch Calgary MP Michelle Rempel Garner in the background. Let's roll it real life because that answer was pure fantasy we have inflation landslides and no escape from poverty why will the prime minister open up his eyes and see he's not a poor boy but he should have some sympathy for too many canadians opportunity had just begun and now this government is going to throw it all away money is not easy come easy go in this economy so when will the government cancel the plan tax increases on gas home heating and groceries and spare us from this inflation monstrosity all right, so um, I, I'm I'm different than some of the critics on this one because I actually love what Genesis is doing there. I, I'd like to see more performative presentation like that in, in the House. I don't agree with him on a lot of things, including a woman's right to choose. I digress. But I actually thought that was kind of funny. It made me snicker. But boy, oh boy, Michelle oh. Rempel Garner is sick of this shit, Dwayne. Yeah, I, and I'm glad you pointed this out because when I saw the first clip, I hadn't noticed Michelle Rempel Garner. And yeah, it was a kind of a funny thing that Garnet did. It reminds me of model parliaments, you know, in high schools and yeah. universities. Uh, we talked about question period being political theater. That's pretty much political theater. So that's about as, as much credence as I want to give to piano game, sure. you know, is that. But I think it's more important to look at, at, at Garner, who is just embarrassed by this, most notable, uh, but she may also be embarrassed by the fact how, look at where her seat placement is. Yeah. Um, she, the further away you are from the front, I mean, she's now behind Garner. Uh, and so um, uh, she is clearly being demoted and whether that is because she supported Patrick Brown or whether um, you know she was already alienating some polyev forces even before the leadership race, uh, but I think her days as a conservative MP may be coming to a close, and I think she's just going. This isn't very serious. Yes, you know, but I, she's a very skilled and experienced parliamentarian right people people were wondering i mean you remember Dwayne. i think you and i talked about this several yeah. months ago she acknowledged that she had been approached and was considering a run at the ucp leadership and is it fair to say that she probably would have won uh um that's hard to say um uh, on, on how she would have gone about and i think one of the reasons that she was even being talked about may be what her role is within the federal conservatives because she was seen in a very high light um, she was seen as, as you know, she, she started as a junior minister in the Harper government, played a prominent role under both Scheer and O'Toole, uh, and is now being uh, isolated. Uh, whether she could have combated uh, the Smith and Taves forces, um, you know, we've had a legacy of, of federal conservatives coming back to, to save the party, but that clip of Michelle Rempel Garner shows she is not happy at all no. and i don't think that she's just not happy 
with Garnet Janis. I think she's just not happy with her fate in life. Yeah, I bet I bet it has very little to do with Garnet Janis. I think that that's probably just the the contextual moment for her to express how she's feeling more generally. Uh, I love this from Kathy on our live chat. She says, we are all Michelle Rempel Garner. Uh, let me ask you this in closing. I know you've got to go. So do we, Dwayne. Uh, but the uh, 45th president of the United States amid a ton of controversy uh, insists that it's no big deal that he had boxes and boxes of classified documents at his home in Florida at Mar-a-Lago. This is uh, Donald J. Trump uh, in an interview with Fox News talking about how, well, there may not be documentation that he declassified documents while occupying the Oval Office. There doesn't need to be because y- you can do it with your mind. Here's Trump. It. You know, there's different people say different right. things. But as I understand, there doesn't have to be. If you're the president of the United States, you can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified, even by thinking about it, because you're sending it to Mar-a-Lago or to wherever you're sending it. And there doesn't have to be a process. There can be a process, but there doesn't have to be. You're- okay. Do you want the flippant answer or the serious answer? Well, start with the flippant one. Flippant first. Yeah, so I've got a a report that's due uh, Friday. It's not done yet, but that's okay because I've been thinking about doing it. Yes. And that's almost the same thing as as doing it. Is the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, but the serious thing is when you declassify a document, there has to be a process, even if you've got absolute control to declassify things because one document is linked to another document to another document to another document and so if you're declassifying one there is a chain of events that also need to be declassified people have to know what is classified and what is not classified so having you just think about it defeats the whole purpose of a classification uh, process. He sounds like a three-year-old, unfortunately. Yeah. Where does this all go? I mean, number one, in the short term, with that investigation, it's ramping up, no doubt about that. And, and number two, uh, the next time that Americans elect a president, I'm seeing more and more. I mean, this is just opinion. This is just anecdotal. This is just buzz. Uh, but a lot of people seem convinced that Donald Trump could be president again. What do you think at this stage? Well, so there's multiple investigations. So just yesterday, um, the Attorney General of New York uh, filed suit over massive fraud involving the Trump Organization, Donald Trump and all of his kids, to the tune of about $750 million. Now, we had heard about these sorts of things before, where when you value your property for the IRS, you put one number at it. When you value it for a loan, you put a much higher number. There's two sets of books going on here, and that's why... Uh, she is uh, she is suing on the classified documents and the raid of Mar-a-Lago. There is a difference between the arguments that are being raised on Fox TV and by Trump's TV lawyers or himself and what they're actually putting in the briefs. So in the legal briefs, they are not talking about whether the documents were classified or not classified. Um, that's a problem. And that's why the special master said, well, what, which is it? You have to tell me. And now we may not even need a special master because a court of appeal has overturned the decision of the previous court judge um, that restricted DOJ's uh, use of these documents. I think this is a very serious offense. Um, this, uh, the Department of Justice and the National Archives had been trying to work with, with former President Trump for months, and he lied to them. Um, Mar-a-Lago is not a secure area. There are tunnels underneath to properties across the road, as we have recently discovered. Um, And so he is facing multiple criminal and civil investigations. There's an investigation going on in Georgia over his interference in 2020. You may remember his call to uh, the Secretary of State of Georgia, Raffensperger, saying, you know, you need to find me an extra 1,800 votes. Um, and you know, that that's on the record, that's on the call and there were efforts behind the scenes at doing that. Maggie Haberman, um, the New York times, uh, reporter who was known as the Trump whisperer and has been covering him for decades, made the point that he may decide that he has to run for president, not just to keep up, you know, his stature and, uh, fundraising capability, but to keep himself out of jail. And that's. That's just a disturbing thought that you need to run for president 
because you're facing so much criminal activity that the only way you can do it is become president and stop it. Yeah, and more disturbing is that you may get the 58 million votes that you need to help you stay out Although of jail. Although his crowd size, and I know he loves talking about crowd sizes, are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. His full embrace of the QAnon conspiracy, you know, wearing the Q lapel, playing the Q music, you're now going to the bottom of the bottom of the mega people. And so can he sustain this? Uh, we'll have to see. Dr. Dwayne Bratt, uh, professor at Mount Royal University, published author as well. I insist you give him a follow if you haven't already on Twitter at Dwayne Bratt. We always learn something when you're on the show. Thanks for doing this. Okay. Thanks, Ryan. Yep. You got it. A lot of think about there. He may have to run for president to stay out of jail. And we all go, yeah. Oh, yeah. That sounds. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Never normal. Right. Michelle's watching right now just says, well, Banana Republic, he sizes everything to Trump. Unless you're talking about his hands. He doesn't like that, right? Tony says, I won't believe he'll be held accountable till I see the silver bracelets on his wrists. Uh, she says, by the way, I'm not talking about tennis bracelets. Jason says, it's ridiculous. The DOJ, Department of Justice, can't just make this guy, this clown, go away. I don't know what's going to happen in the United States. It's like It's one of those things where... We learn, you know, like Britain has a new prime minister. Germany has a new chancellor. And everyone's like, oh, that's interesting. I should learn more about this new person. Right? I should do a bit of a deep dive into their policies and how they've voted in past. But when America elects a new president, it's a bigger deal than any other nation. I know I'm stating the obvious here, but Trump yesterday in another snippet from an interview we don't have time to play it now. we got to get to our next guest. We're leaving them sitting. I hate to do that. But, but Trump basically said, you know, look what's going on right now with Russia in Ukraine. He said, what about China? What about China, Taiwan? He says, this would not happen if I was commander in chief. He says, for four long years. And a lot of people would agree. They were four long years. He said, it didn't happen. So he's rattling that saber. He wants back. You can send us your thoughts anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. That interview presented in part by our friends at Apex Automation. I want to let you know about some of the examples of the industries they're serving. We've encouraged you to check out apexautomation.ca. In particular, if you are a PNG or if you're an engineer, maybe you're even studying engineer at a Canadian university right now, you're, you're studying engineering and this is going to be your profession, you know that you're going to bring something big to whichever team secures your talents the team at Apex Automation working in distributed control systems, autonomous vehicles and machinery. Very cool stuff. Robotics, remote terminal units. They're working on oil extraction facilities, natural gas processing facilities, potash mining, robotics, material handling, including overhead cranes. Never a dull day when you're joining the team at Apex Automation. If you're looking to shake up your career, trying to find that personal and professional fulfillment don't delay go to apexautomation.ca today our friends at kubi renewable energy want to remind you that the federal government has that forty thousand dollar interest-free loan it's called the canada greener homes grant there's no strings attached kubi can do all the paperwork for you you go onto their website if you click on the blog link you'll be able to find a direct link to that canada greener homes loan you'll get all the information you need to learn more the loan amount can be from 5000 all the way up to 40000 0% interest. You can pay it back over 10 years, but you can get the solar panels on your roof right now. Kubi's installing in BC, Alberta, and elsewhere with their Tesla certified installers. You can get your free quote today at kubienergy.ca. Now, once you got solar on your roof in the summer months, if everything goes according to plan, you're going to be providing way more power than your household needs. That's where Park Power comes in. They're going to buy back that surplus power and they're going to pay you more for it than any of the big providers. They guarantee it. You can check out the frequently asked questions link at parkpower.ca. That's also where you can easily, in just a couple of seconds, compare rates on electricity, natural gas, and internet. Park Power is your friendly local utilities provider, and they're offering $70 off your first bill to anybody that uses the promo code 2022-REALTALK when you sign up to bring your business over to parkpower.ca. And finally, John, at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, we're talking about the Dairy Queens of Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. 
They've got their fall blizzard lineup ready and rolled out. What are we talking about today, pal? The cinnamon bun blizzard. The cinnamon roll centers blizzard. This is for somebody that really wants to have their cinnamon roll and eat it too. You can order them at the Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. The new Blizzard menu also includes coffee crisp and other fantastic additions like the pumpkin pie spice. Love that stuff. Well, this weekend is a return to an in-person gathering that I know has meant a lot to Albertans in past years, in particular women in Alberta. Daughter's Day returns to City Hall in our home city of Edmonton uh, on the 24th. That's a couple of days from now after two years as an online event. This is an event that honors the achievements of Alberta women. It's chaired this year by Dr. Vivian Aboud, uh, who has strived uh, for her entire career uh, to work as hard as she can to make her world and the world around her a better place. Not always easy as an immigrant to Canada, but Dr. Aboud has been recognized on several occasions for her career achievements and community contributions. She's joining us today in her capacity as the chair of Daughters Day and one of the so-called Daughters of the Year. She's set to be recognized and receive an award this Saturday is Delmi Garcia Hoyt, who came to Canada in 1984 uh, from El Salvador with her parents and young siblings at the height of that nation's civil war. Uh, Delmi's dad always taught the kids to help themselves by helping others. She says she tries to honor this message through her work. Uh, it's a real honor to have you both joining us this morning. Thank you so much for making time for us. Uh, Dr. Abood, obviously Saturday is a big day. Uh, why did you decide to chair it? Why is this event so special to you? <laughs> Thank you so much, Ryan, for having us. We're very excited about the event this Saturday. You know, as you know, I've had my own path as an immigrant woman in the last 27 years in Canada. I faced challenges, but also I've had many opportunities and many people helping me. So that's why it's been so important for me to be involved in Daughters Day. And I've been involved with Daughters Day for the last six years. And we're very excited about seeing everyone in person and listening to the inspiring stories like Del stories and then and then I'll also to look for synergies because as we know there is much more work to be done in relation to gender equity so um, very excited as you know the pandemic had a huge impact on all of us particularly women and um, and we want to find ways to come up with solutions together hmm. Delmi I know that you have uh, felt that you've, you've honored the legacy of your family uh, you've honored the teachings of, of your father in particular by, by working to inspire people to build just communities how has that manifested itself can you tell us a bit about your story um, I think I you know I, I always go back to to my dad's uh, when he used to tell us that uh, that we should do the work that we're doing because it's it's right, but not because we're winning awards. And uh, and and to me is is a you know is a balance that we that 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 I always bring into into my life that I, that I, that I, that if I was given the opportunity to come to this country and be given a, an opportunity, you know, to study to express myself. I need to remember those that passed before me and gave me that teaching so I can continue and continue to encourage, uh, you know, not only uh, young women, uh, but sisters and daughters and fathers. So we, we built a, a healthier community, I think, in the, you know, to either in the place that we work or around us. Vivian, what's the significance of the phrase daughters? These awards are the daughters of the year. Can you take us into the thinking behind that? Um, in all honesty, Daughters Day has been around for um, over 10 years. So we're celebrating the 11th Daughters Day. And then it was created by uh, by five founders, um, five, um, uh, you know, um, leaders who were reflecting on their daughters and the daughters in the community and the daughters back home. And uh, and uh, this is how they came up with the idea. And we we kept the Daughters Day title and event because we, we felt it applies to all women. 
every woman is a daughter. And then we want to look at ways of how can we support each other and make sure that we, we're including everyone. So by having the daughters, they, um, with that title of the daughters, we felt like this is the, it reflects everyone, every woman in the society. Tell mm. me the, the organizers were kind enough to provide me with a, with a bio so we could learn a little bit more about you and your activism and your history and community uh, ahead of this interview. And, and, and I learned there that you've followed what you describe as a C judge act model uh, that you learned as a young activist. You've set up for people's context that are going to be listening to this interview, the health for two programs uh, that have supported women that are living in poverty to have healthy pregnancies. Uh, you've worked a great deal to create housing and to eliminate homelessness, uh, including coordinating a supportive housing project for landed immigrants. And uh, some of these past participants, I know you consider to be some of your dear friends today. Can you give us a sense of the challenges that you faced as a relatively young immigrant to Canada? What you see uh, with, with regards to challenges and obstacles from people that are coming to Canada now, present day, and, and maybe some of the changes between that period of time? Mm hmm. Um, I think one of the things that, you know, that I see a challenge that it continues to be a challenge is that majority of us, we come from countries of conflict and war, right? So, so it's a trauma that, you know, that we will carry for life. I, I, that doesn't go away. I think, you know, uh, everyone uh, keep it, uh, sorry, everyone uh, process it differently but but it is with us and i and i think to me we still lack that kind of support even though we can be given a home or 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 a school or everything like that but those are memories that stay with us right so 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 my support i think you know that i give to 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 communities either immigrants or even people that i work right now you know that they're homeless is how i can walk beside them acknowledging their history and their past, you know, because whatever happened in, in, to us into their life or, or even people that I work right now is not because they decided to do it. It wasn't their choice, but, but circumstances in life, right? So how can they be supported into that process? Mm. There Maybe will I'm be answering, right? Yeah, yeah. Dr. Bood, correct me if I'm wrong. There were six recipients this weekend, correct? Um, That's right. Uh, I, I see my friend Tanya LaRiviere's name on that list, and I'm thrilled to see it. She's a force of nature. Uh, Chanel Cluet Alstad, Delmi Garcia Hoyt, who, of course, is joining us today. Mercedes Messenger, Laura Murphy, and Jayanti Negi. Now, different backgrounds, different stories, different involvements, different contexts. Uh, but all of this uh, through a lens of community contribution, activism, and the pursuit of gender equity. Can you give us a sense or talk to us a bit about the work that remains to be done in Alberta in that context? Right. And, uh, you know, as you know, Ryan, prior to the pandemic, I mean, many organizations were working on achieving gender equity and we were all striving with that common goal in mind. There has been lots of progress was made. However, the issues were not solved prior to the pandemic. And if you look at research and then you look at, at when you uh, connect with women and hear their stories, the pandemic made the issues worse. So there has been a reg regressive effects and, and we really need to uh, come together. And that is why we called the, the theme. Uh, we had the theme for Daughters Day is New Horizon because we want to look in a, an optimistic way, in a positive way. But we need to remind everyone that there's still lots of work to be done. And this is why we're having the event this Saturday to share and, and listen and, and hear the inspiring stories in the hopes that it creates synergies. But also, I think what we need to have targeted actually actions. And this is why we're having another event on November 26. And the event is entitled Take Action, because we know what the issues are. We know what the, what the you know, the, the, the challenges that the pandemic caused. Now we need to take action while being visionaries and, and, and learning from each other and coming together. Because when it comes to the 
really gender inequity. It, 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 it exists in the society. It exists at the political level. It exists at the economical level. It exists actually at, at all levels. So we need to come together and actually uh, look at solutions for each of those um, for each of those issues that exist in different sectors. So we have still lots of work to be done. It starts with the stories, and we are hoping that we are going to come together to work together on addressing the issues. I'm going to give people a, a peek behind the curtain here of sometimes how these segments are produced. We'll reach out to guests like you and, and we'll ask ahead of time, what's one question you'd really love us to ask? And Delmi, I can't wait to hear the answer to yours because you suggested that you may have a lesson you would want to share with a young teenage version of yourself if you met her today. What is it? Um, I always tell, uh, I, I look, I was thinking about that last night and I, and I always think that, uh, that we always have to honor, uh, you know, the teaching that we have received from our parents, from community, for people who gave their life for justice, but also think about where we are standing right now and be able to give voice to the ones who don't have a voice and, 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 and show them that they can thrive in an environment, you know, that, that, that they are in and, and, and try to find them, you know, and uh, to discover themselves who they are and the strengths that they have. Mm. Beautifully said. Uh, people can learn more about this event. Uh, and the upcoming events and the movement and the winners and, and the bigger picture uh, by checking out the website. It's daughters hyphen day daughters dash day dot com. We'll link to it in the comment uh, in the uh, description of the podcast in the description on YouTube. So you can uh, directly link right to it. It's this Saturday. If you're in our neck of the woods, September 24th, 1 p.m. Mountain time, obviously at Edmonton's uh, City Hall. So grateful to have been joined by Delmi Garcia Hoyt and Dr. Vivian Abu. To both of you, thank you so much. Uh, and, and congratulations, Delmi, on a well-deserved honor. You bet. Uh, we should mention as well, a good friend of this show, uh, Cheryl Whiskey Jack, is going to be delivering a, a keynote. Uh, Cheryl, of course, of the Bent Arrow Traditional Healing Society, uh, a message at that afternoon celebration. We encourage you to check it out. We want to return, and I promised I want to get to this email from Real Talker Catalina. Uh, Catalina's getting a, a couple of emails read in the same week, which is fantastic. You know, oftentimes, if you, if you read something that really sparks thought and debate, uh, including from some pretty high-profile panelists on the show. Charles Adler loved it. Erica Eiffel and Mo Amir didn't love it so much, and they were pretty hard on the email yesterday. Well, you might say, well, it's not really fair. I mean, life's not fair, but it's not really cool, is it? It's, it's, it's not super cool to, to let someone's email just get roasted by panelists and then just leave it sitting there. And I'm so grateful that Catalina responded again. You know, she said, thanks for putting my email out there. So I want to get to that. I mean, if we talk about dialogue and debate and moving issues forward and truly seeking to understand follow ups, a big part of that. Right. So we're going to get to her email in just two seconds. First, I want to remind you about our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. This is a perfect time of year for you to start looking at your plan for the winter. Don't wait until there's. 10 centimeters of snow on the ground before you start talking about getting a 4x4 or before you start talking about swapping over to your winter tires or before you talk about that seasonal oil change or whatever it is you need to get done. Today's a perfect day to get the ball rolling. I just uh, called up SherwoodDodge.com on my screen. The first thing that comes up is a pop-up menu. You can chat directly with a member of their sales team from the comfort of your own home. Same deal at StAlbertDodge.com. You can check out the service and parts department, the specials that they have on right now, including with that Ram 1500 pickup that I love so much. The new, the pre-owned selection, it's all there. Or, of course, if you're like John, you like to feel that steering wheel in your hands, you can go see them in person in Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge's beautiful facilities. A big shout out to our friends at Local Environmental Services. They're going to be ready to go this uh, Friday, of course. They love their whole team tunes in for Trash Talk. They're proud to sponsor it as real talkers get what they need off their chest. In real emails to the show to talk at Ryan Jesperson. 
Com. Local Environmental Services helped out a real talker by the name of Graham just a few days ago. I told you the story. His family's moving cities and they needed to do a big basement purge. So they went to localenvironmental.ca. They requested a quote. It was the best price that they found. So they had a bin in front of their place. And of course, that bin was carted off. Once it was full of stuff the family didn't need anymore. No hassle, no headache, fair price. And they kept it local at localenvironmental.ca. And speaking of keeping it local, Eden Landscaping is all about relationships. A custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and the metro region. So Fort Saskatchewan, Sherwood Park, Stony Plain, St. Albert, Leduc, Leduc County, you name it. Heck, they'll go to Lacombe for a big enough job. Hell, they'll go to Red Deer. Hell, they'll go to Idaho. Mike's going to call me and say, would you please knock it off? The point is, they're looking to find a perfect fit for you and the contractor that is Eden Landscaping as they work to bring your outdoor space to life. Just look at the referrals. Just look at the proof in the pudding at landscapeedmonton.ca. We're proud to partner with Eden Landscaping. So an email from Catalina caught our attention a few days ago, probably yours too, if you're a regular subscriber to the show, and a huge shout out to those of you that are. Catalina asked if we are members of the mushy middle. She said, I I feel like the pendulum's swung too far left. The pendulum has swung too far right. And Catalina felt, uh, to use my phrase, not hers, politically homeless. And so we put that email in front of you, Real Talkers. It resonated for sure. And, uh, of course, had an interesting impact on some of the dialogue over the past couple of days here on this show. Well, here's the follow-up from Catalina. We received it uh, just this morning, just after midnight, in fact. Oh, wow. On Thursday, September 22nd of 2022 at 1222 a.m. Ooh. it's when I get my best thinking done, too. 22-22-22. Catalina says, uh, just an email to say I caught the show with Erica and Mo with the unofficial opposition roundtable. Says, I really want to thank your panel for making my point about being in the middle. If you recall from my previous email, I said I never discuss politics with anyone anymore because I get condemned for not being committed enough to the cause. Unless I strictly adhere to all the prescribed ways of thinking, I get written off. Then when I first sat down to write this response, I asked myself, should I highlight all the ways that my beliefs do dovetail with their worldview? Uh, But I quickly dismissed that idea because I knew it would be viewed as defensive. As I said in my first email, labels are counterproductive to positive and proactive discussion. Being dismissed as somebody who, as Erica described, just wants to be comfortable and who wants to preserve the status quo put me into a nice, neat box. And then that nice, neat box, more often than not, gets put into the corner. And then it's the end of discussion. How do I know this? Because I have two children on the far left and one that's a conservative fur flies at family dinners and I often end up in the middle feeling like a UN peacekeeper. They're so entrenched and passionate and unswerving in their beliefs. They're determined to convert each other to the correct way of thinking. Thank goodness they love each other and no one has stopped speaking to the other yet. So I was thinking, says Catalina, perhaps the description of the middle should change from mushy to more of a no man's land. That precarious and inhospitable place between two entrenched and warring factions. Those of us who are center left find ourselves open to as many, if not more, shots fired from the far left as we do from the other side. Preach. No wonder most of us keep our heads down, shut up, and opt for the pineapple on pizza discussion instead. The implication from the conversation with Mo Amir and Erica Ifill was uh, was the change doesn't happen without taking a stand and fighting for it. But actually, if we examine Canada's history, change, especially to the social safety net, it happened more through compromise than staying entrenched stubbornly in one position. The dental care subsidies that are currently being hammered out between the Liberals and the NDP are case in point. If we look back on most of our social programs, they came about as a result of the left and the center being forced to work together because the liberals were in a minority government. The us and them mentality might make a person feel morally superior, but compromise is how most governments and other organizations actually get things done. Anyway, says Catalina, for a person who's never written into the show before, two emails in one week has been exhausting 
And so I think for the rest of the day today, I'll make some butter tarts with raisins in them. Oh, boy. Catalina, I love it. Thanks. If you have a response to what she had to say, we'd love to hear from you. Talk at RyanJesperson.com. We still have a couple of slots open to be earned in tomorrow's trash talk. We've got some fiery submissions, uh, but they can always get bumped for something that hits the nail on the head even harder. That's coming up on tomorrow's show, as is a Real Talk Roundtable featuring, anchored by Anne Castleman, an environmental journalist who has a great new piece out at The Walrus. You can read it at thewalrus.ca, how the UK is winning the race against climate change. That's going to be the focus of our Friday roundtable. Plus, of course, Sapria Devetti will join me. If you can't wait till tomorrow, make sure you download this week's edition of Seriously, our brand new podcast. We'll see you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, executive producer Josh Dunford, technical producer John Hicks, general manager Katie Cook Chivers, account coordinator Lawrence Durlego, human resources Lena Shepard, website design Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.